Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, February 23rd episode. That's episode, I think it's 176 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. The Faith Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble uh, member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. We definitely recommend that you do so. Um just great, great, great podcast for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I know there, there's a, there are a number I listen to, um, squirrel chatter with, with my buddy, the squirrel, shine our squirrel, um, Mr. Gene Clyatt. It's wonderful, wonderful podcast. The voice of reason radio, uh, with Chris and rich over there. One again, wonderful. Um, truth be known, uh, with, uh, Nathaniel and Eki is just is is just great and the matter of theology with chris huff is just um andrew von nita um again great 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 podcast uh there are many many more believe me many many more other than other than those um but i would definitely recommend going over there and looking for looking for stuff to listen to it's definitely worth your while um and i guess i should have told you who i am i'm wayne floyd and i'm your host um I, I don't know. Usually I do that and it's not really a problem, but I forgot it this morning. Um, we'll see. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in our reading uh, through the scriptures. And then we're going to be continuing on in our reading from uh, Thomas Watson's A Godly Man's Picture in our evening segment today. Um, let's see. I also want to remind you of the very last link in the show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian, excuse me, um, classical education based school. So, uh, go ahead and click on the link, go take a read. It'll tell you, uh, in more detail what we're doing. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask for you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving, and then we'd ask you to pass along the link so that others can do the same thing. All right, so let's go ahead and get started this morning. As we usually do on a Thursday morning, we open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called The Giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy son, in the proclamation of the gospel. 
Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves, but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect, but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. Now our morning devotion from Valley of, or from, uh, sorry, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 23rd. The text is from Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave thee. No promises of private interpretation. Whatever God has said to any one saint, he has said to all. When he opens a well for one, it is that all may drink. When he openeth a granary door to give out food, there may be some one starving man who is the occasion of it being open, but all hungry saints may come and feed too. Whether he gave the word to Abraham or to Moses matters not. O believer, he has given it to thee as one of the covenanted seed. There is not a high blessing too lofty for thee, nor a wide mercy too extensive for thee. Lift up now thine eyes to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, for all this is thine. Climb to Pisgah's top and view the utmost limit of the divine promise, for the land is all thine own. There is not a brook of living water of which thou mayest not drink. If the land floweth with milk and honey, eat the honey and drink the milk, for both are thine. Be thou bold to believe, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In this promise God gives to his people everything. I will never leave thee. Then no attribute of God can cease to be engaged for us. Is he mighty? He will show himself strong on the behalf of them that trust him. Is he love? Then with loving kindness will he have mercy upon us. Whatever attributes may compose the character of, de of deity, every one of them to its fullest extent shall be engaged on our side. To put everything in one, there is nothing you can want. There is nothing you can ask for. There is nothing you can need in time or in eternity. There is nothing living, nothing dying. There is nothing in this world, nothing in the next world. There is nothing now, nothing at the resurrection, at the resurrection morning, nothing in heaven, which is not contained in this text. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All right. And now into our reading, we're going to start in Leviticus 14. All right, Leviticus 14, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give a command to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give a command to slaughter the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop, and he shall dip them in the live and dip, dip them and the live bird in the blood of the, of the bird that was slaughtered over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and he shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. 
And it will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and a yearling ewe lamb without blemish, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and one log of oil. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed, as well as these things before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take the one male lamb and bring it near for a guilt offering, with the log of oil, and wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. Next he shall slaughter the male lamb in the place where they slaughter the sin offering and the burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary, for the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall then take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest shall also take some of the log of oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest shall then dip his right hand finger his right hand finger into the oil that is in his left palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times before Yahweh. Of the remaining oil which is in his palm, the priest shall put some on the right ear lobe of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the guilt offering. But the rest of the oil that is in the priest's palm he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before Yahweh. The priest shall next offer the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Then afterward he shall slaughter the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer up the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he will be clean. But if he is poor and his means are insufficient, then he is to take one male lamb for a guilt offering as a wave offering to make atonement for him, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil, and two turtle doves or two young pigeons, which are within his means. The one shall be a sin offering, and the other a burnt offering." Then the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. Next he shall slaughter the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest shall also pour some of the oil into his left palm, and with his right hand finger the priest shall sprinkle some of the oil that it is that is in his left palm seven times before Yahweh. The priest shall then put some of the oil that is in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big, big toe of his right foot, in the place of the blood of the guilt offering. Moreover, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's palm he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed, to make atonement on his behalf before Yahweh. He shall then offer one of, his, one of the turtle doves or young pigeons, which are within his means. He shall offer what he can afford, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, together with the grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement before Yahweh on behalf of the one to be cleansed. This is the law for him in whom there is an infection of leprosy, whose means are limited for his cleansing. 
Yahweh further spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When you enter the land of Canaan, which I am giving you for a possession, and I put a mark of leprosy on a house in the land of your possession, then the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, Something like a mark of leprosy has become visible to me in the house. The priest shall then command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the mark, so that everything in the house need not become unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to look at the house. So he shall look at the mark, and if the mark on the walls of the house has greenish or reddish depressions, and appears deeper than the surface of the wall, <sighs> sorry, than the surface of the wall, then the priest shall come out of the house to the doorway and put the house under isolation for seven days. And the priest shall return on the seventh day and look again. If the mark has indeed spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command them to tear out the stones with the mark in them and throw them away at an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the house scraped all around inside, and they shall pour out the plaster that they scrape off at an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and replace those stones, and he shall take other plaster and replaster the house. If, however, the mark breaks out again in the house, after he has torn out the stones and scraped the house, and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and look again. If he sees that the mark has indeed spread in the house, it is a leprous malignancy in the house, it is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the house, its stones and its timbers, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall take them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has put it under isolation becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. If, on the other hand, the priest comes in and looks again, and the mark has not indeed spread in the house after the house has been replastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the mark has not re reappeared. To cleanse the house, then, he shall take two birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop, and he shall slaughter the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. Then he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet string with the live bird, and he shall dip them in the blood of the slaughtered bird as well as in the running water, and he shall sprinkle the house seven times. He shall thus cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the running water, along with the live bird and with the cedar wood and with the hyssop and with the scarlet string. However, he shall let the live bird go free outside the city into the open field, so he shall make atonement for the house, and it will be clean. This is the law for any mark of leprosy, even for a scale, and for the leprous garment or house, and for a swelling and for a scab, and for a bright spot, to instruct when they are unclean and when they are clean. This is the law of leprosy. All right. And now Mark 6, verses 30 through 56. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And the people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and began saying, This place is desolate, and it is, our... <laughs> and it is already quite late. Uh, send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. 
But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend two hundred denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them, Sorry. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces, pieces, and also of the fish. And there were five thousand men who ate the loaves. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he was intending to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly amazed. For they had not gained any insight about the loaves, but their heart was hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole region and began to carry here and there on their mats those who were sick to the place they heard he was. But wherever he was entering villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplace and pleading with him that they might just touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were being saved from their sickness. All right, Psalm 40 verses 1 through 10. For the choir director of David, a psalm. I hoped earnestly for Yahweh, and he inclined to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a high rock. He established my steps. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and will trust in Yahweh. How blessed is the man who has made Yahweh his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who stray into falsehood. Many, O Yahweh, my God, are the wondrous deeds you have done, and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. I would declare and speak of them, but they are too numerous to recount. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my inner being. I proclaim good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Behold, I do not restrain my lips. O Yahweh, you know. I do not conceal your righteousness within my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not hide your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. All right, and finally, Proverbs 10, verses 11 and 12. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked covers up violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. Uh, I hope you go out and have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God.
Um, And God willing, I will see you back this evening. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, The prayer we're going to close out with is called Spiritual Helps. Let's pray. Eternal Father, it is amazing love that thou hast sent thy Son to suffer in my stead, that thou hast added the Spirit to teach, comfort, guide, that thou hast allowed the ministry of angels to wall me round. All heaven subserves the welfare of a poor worm. Permit thy unseen servants to be ever active on my behalf, and to rejoice when grace expands in me. Suffer them never to rest until my conflict is over, and I stand victorious on salvation's shores. Salvation's shore. Grant that my proneness to evil, deadness to good, resistance to thy spirit's motions, may never provoke thee to abandon me. May my hard heart awake thy pity, not thy wrath. And if the enemy gets an advantage through my corruption, let it be seen that heaven is mightier than hell, that those for me are greater than those against me. Arise to my help and richness of covenant blessings. Keep me feeding in the pastures of thy strengthening word, searching scripture to find thee there. If my waywardness is visited with a scourge, enable me to receive correction meekly, to bless the reproving hand, to discern the motive of rebuke, to respond promptly and do not and do the first work. Let all thy fatherly dealings make me a partaker of thy holiness. Grant that in every fall I may sink lower on my knees, and that when I rise it may be to loftier heights of devotion. May my every cross be sanctified, every loss be gain, every denial a a spiritual advantage, every dark day a light of the Holy Spirit, every night a trial of song. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you have a great day. And like I said, God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Let's see, Thursday, sorry, February 23rd episode, that's episode 176 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. A lot of great great podcasts, a lot of great um, work being done by brothers and sisters in Christ. Definitely worth your while to go over there and find some good stuff to listen to. Um, definitely a plus. All right. Like I said, um, in the morning segment, we're going to be continuing on in our reading of a godly man's picture from Thomas Watson. We're going to be starting in section 10. This is the section, um, section talking about the characteristics of a godly man, but this is section 10. This is the 10th characteristic. So let's go ahead and open up first with prayer. So the prayer we're going to open up with from Valley vision is called fullness in Christ. Let's pray. O God, thou hast taught me that Christ has all fullness, so all plen- and so all plenitude of the Spirit, that all fullness I lack in myself is in him, for his people, not for himself alone. He, having perfect knowledge, grace, righteousness, to make me see, to make me righteous, to give me fullness, that it is my duty out of a sense of emptiness to go to Christ, possess, enjoy his fullness as mine, as if I had it in myself, because it is for me in him. That when I do this, I am full of the Spirit, as a fish that has got from the shore to the sea, and has all fullness of waters to move in. 
for when faith fills me, then I am full. That this is the way to be filled with the Spirit, like Stephen, first faith, then fullness, for this way makes me most empty, and so most fit for the Spirit to fill. Thou hast taught me that the finding of this treasure of all grace in the field of Christ begets strength, joy, glory, and renders all grace al- all graces alive. Help me delight to delight more in what I receive from Christ, more in that fullness which is in him, the fountain of all his glory. Let me not think to receive the Spirit from him as a thing, apart from finding, drinking, being filled with him. To this end, O God, do thou establish me in Christ. Settle me, give me a being there. Assure me with certainty that all this is mine, for this only will fill my heart with joy and peace. Amen. All right. Now, the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 23rd. The text from it is from Mark 10:21. Take up the cross and follow me. You have not the making of your own cross, although unbelief is a master carpenter at cross making. Neither are you permitted to choose your own cross, although self-will would fain be Lord and Master. But your cross is prepared and appointed for you by divine love, and you are cheerful to accept it. You are to take up the cross as your chosen badge and burden, and not to stand cavilling at it. This night Jesus bids you submit your shoulder to his easy yoke. Do not kick at it in petulance, or trample on it in vain glory, or fall under it in despair, or run away from it in fear, but take it up like a true follower of Jesus. Jesus was a cross-bearer. He leads the way in the path of sorrow. Surely you could not desire a better guide. And if he carried a cross, what nobler burden would you desire? The Via Crucis is the way of safety. Fear not to tread its thorny paths. Beloved, the cross is not made of feathers or lined with velvet. It is heavy and galling to disobedient shoulders. But it is not an iron cross. Although your fears have painted it with iron colors, it is a wooden cross, and a man can carry it. For the man of sorrows tried the load. Take up your cross, and by the power of the Spirit of God, you will soon be so in love with it that, like Moses, you would not exchange the reproach of Christ for all the treasures of Egypt. Remember that Jesus carried it, and it will smell sweetly. Remember remember that it will soon be followed by the crown, and the thought of the coming weight of glory will greatly lighten the present heaviness of trouble. The Lord help you to bow your spirit in submission to the divine will, ere you fall asleep this night that waking with tomorrow's sun, you may go forth to the day's cross with the holy and submissive spirit, which becomes a follower of the crucified. All right, so now to our reading. So like I said, we're in the godly man's picture from Thomas Watson. We are in uh, group four and and overall section four, which is about the characteristics of the godly man. And we are in section four or characteristic four, A godly man has the spirit of God residing in him. So let's go. And I think we're going to read just this section today because we've been running kind of long. All right. So a godly man has the spirit of God residing in him. The Holy Spirit, which dwells in us. 2 Timothy 1.14 and Galatians 4.6. The schoolmen move the question whether a man receives the Holy Spirit himself or not. Montanus held that the godly have God's spirit in them in such a way that they partake of his essence and become one person with him. But this amounts to no less than blasphemy. It would then follow that every saint should be worshipped. 
I conceive that the spirit is in the godly promotum in fluxus. He flows in them in measure. They have the presence and receive the sacred influences of the spirit. When the sun comes into a room, it is not the body of the sun that is there, but the beams that sparkle from it. Indeed, some divines have thought that the godly have more than the indwelling of the, have more than the indwelling of the spirit. Though to say how it is more is ineffable. It is a filter, it is, and its filter. I'm sorry, and it is fitter for some seraphic pen to describe than for mine. The spirit of God reveals itself in a gracious soul in two ways. Number one, by its motions. These are some of that sweet perfume which the Spirit breathes upon the heart, by which the Spirit is raised into a kind of angelic frame. Question 1. But how may we distinguish the motions of the Spirit from a delusion? Answer. The motions of the Spirit are always consonant with the Word. The Word is the chariot in which the Spirit of God rides. Whichever way the tide of the world t- word turns, that is the way the wind of the Spirit blows. John 3.8 Question 2. How may the motions of the spirit and the godly be distinguished from the impulses of a natural conscience? Answer. 1. A natural conscience may sometimes provoke to the same thing as the spirit does, but not from the same principle. Natural conscience is a spur to duty, but it drives a man to do his duties from fear of hell, just as the galley slave tugs at the oar for fear of being beaten. Whereas the spirit moves a child of God from a more noble principle, it makes him serve God out of choice and to consider duty as his privilege. Answer 2. The impulses of a natural conscience drive men only to easier duties of religion, in which the heart is less exercised, like perfunctory reading or praying. But the motions of the spirit in the godly go further, causing them to do the most irksome duties, like self-reflection, self-humbling, and yes, perilous duties, like confessing Christ's name in times of danger. Divine motions in the heart are like new wine, which seek to vent itself. I'm sorry, which seeks to vent itself. When God's spirit possesses a man, it carries him full sail through all difficulties. Number two, by its virtues. These are various. God's spirit has a teaching virtue. The spirit teaches convincingly, John 16, 8. He so teaches that it persuades. Two, God's spirit has a sanctifying virtue. The heart is naturally polluted, But when the Spirit comes into it, it works sin out and works grace in. The Spirit of God was represented by the dove, an emblem of purity. The Spirit makes the heart a temple of purity and a paradise for pleasantness. The holy oil of consecration was nothing but a prefiguring of the Spirit. Exodus 30.25 The Spirit sanctifies a man's imagination, causing it to mint holy meditations. He sanctifies his will, blasting it to good so that now it will be as delightful to serve God as before it was to sin against him. Sweet powders perfume the linen. So God's spirit in a man perfumes him with holiness and makes his heart a map of heaven. 3. God's spirit has a vivifying virtue. The spirit gives life, 2 Corinthians 3.6. As blowing in an organ makes it sound, so the breathing of the spirit causes life and motion. When the prophet Elijah stretched himself upon the dead child, it revived, 1 Kings 17.22. So God's Spirit stretching himself upon the soul infuses life into it. As our life is from the Spirit's operation, so is our liveliness. The Spirit lifted me up, Ezekiel 3.14. When the heart is bowed down and is listless to its duty, the Spirit of God lifts it up, 
It puts a sharp edge on the affections. It makes love ardent and hope lively. The spirit removes the weights of the soul and gives it wings. Before I was ever aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Aminadab. Aminadib, Song, Song of Songs 612. The wheels of the soul were pulled off before, and so it drove on heavily. But when the Spirit of the Almighty possesses a man, he runs swiftly in the ways of God, and his soul is like the chariots of Aminadib. For God's Spirit has a jurisdictional virtue. It rules and governs. God's Spirit sits paramount in the soul. It checks the violence of corruption. It will not allow a man to be vain and lose it like others. The Spirit of God will not be put out of office. It exercises its authority over the heart, bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 5. The Spirit has a mollifying virtue. Therefore it is compared to fire which softens the wax. The Spirit turns flint into flesh. It will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36.26 How shall this be effected? I will put my Spirit within you. Verse 27 Ezekiel 36 verse 27 while the heart is hard, it lies like a log, and is not wrought upon either by judgments or mercies. But when God's Spirit comes in, it makes a man's heart as tender as his eye, and yielding to divine impressions. Number six, the Spirit of God has a corroborating virtue. It infuses strength and assistance for work. It is a spirit of power, Second Timothy 1.7. God's Spirit carries a man above himself, strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, Ephesians 3.16. The Spirit confirms faith and animates courage. It lifts one into the cross and makes it lighter to bear. The Spirit gives not only a sufficiency of strength, but an excess. Question, how shall we know whether we are acting in the strength of God's Spirit or in the strength of our own abilities? Answer 1. When we humbly cast ourselves upon God for assistance, as David going out against Goliath cast himself upon God for help. I come to you in the name of the Lord, 1 Samuel 17.45. Answer 2. When our duties are divinely qualified, and we do them with pure aims. Answer 3. When we have found God going along with us, we give Him the glory for it all. 1 Corinthians 15.10 This clearly evidences that the duty was carried on by the strength of God's Spirit more than by any innate ability of our own. God's Spirit has a comforting virtue. Despondency may arise in a gracious heart. Psalm 43.5 just as the sky, though it is a bright, lucid body, has clouds interposed. This sadness is usually caused through the malice of Satan, who, if he cannot destroy us, will disturb us. But God's Spirit within us sweetly cheers and revives. He is called the Comforter. John 14.16 These comforts are real and infallible, hence they are called the Seal of the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 When a deed is sealed, it is firm and unquestionable. So, too, when a Christian has the seal of the Spirit, his comforts are confirmed. Every godly man has these re revivings of the Spirit in some degree. He has the seeds and beginnings of joy, though the flower is not fully ripe and blown. Question. How does the Spirit give comfort? Answer 1. By showing us that we are in a state of grace. A Christian cannot always see his riches. The work of grace may be written in the heart like shorthand which a Christian cannot read. The Spirit gives him a key to open these dark characters and spell out his adoption, at which point he has joy and peace. We have received the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Answer 2. 
The Spirit comforts by giving us some ravishing apprehensions of God's love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5. God's love is a box of precious ointment, and it is only the Spirit who can break this box open and fill us with its sweet perfume. Answer 3. The Spirit comforts by carrying us to the blood of Christ. When a man is weary and ready to faint, we take him to the water, and he is refreshed. So too, when we are fainting under the burden of sin, the Spirit takes us to the fountain of Christ's blood. In that day there shall be a fountain opened. Zechariah 13.1 The Spirit enables us to drink the water of justification, which run out of Christ's side. The Spirit applies whatever Christ has purchased. It shows us that our sins were done away in Christ, and though we are spotted in ourselves, we are undefiled in our head. Answer 4. The Spirit comforts by enabling the conscience to comfort. The child must be taught before it can speak. The Spirit opens the mouth of conscience, conscience and helps it to speak and witness to a man that his state is good, whereupon he begins to receive comfort my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Romans 9.1 Conscience draws up a certificate for a man. Then the Holy Spirit comes and sets his hand to the certificate. Answer 5. The Spirit conveys the oil of joy through two golden pipes. One, the ordinances. Two, the promises. Number 1. The ordinances. As Christ in his prayer had his countenance changed, Luke 9.29, and a glorious luster on his face, so in the use of holy ordinances, the godly often have much, such raptures of joy and soul transfigurations that they have been carried above the world and despised all things below. The promises. The promises are comforting. One, for their sureness, Romans 4.16. God in the promises has laid down his truth as a pledge. And two, for their suitableness, being calculated for every Christian con Christian's condition. The promises are like a medicinal garden. There is no disease that some herb may, may not be found there to cure it. But the promises of themselves cannot comfort, except as the Spirit enables us to draw consolation from these honeycombs. The promises are like a limbeck, full of herbs, but this limbeck will not drip unless a fire is put under it. So when the Spirit of God, which is compared to fire, is put to the limbeck of the promise, those promises distill consolation. Thus we see how the Spirit is in the godly by its virtues object object yeah, object i guess but is being filled the, with the spirit the sign of a godly man are the wicked not said to partake of the holy spirit hebrews 6 4 answer wicked men may partake of the spirit's working but not of its indwelling they may have god's spirit act on them but the godly have it enter into them ezekiel three twenty four. object but do the unregenerate not taste the heavenly gift hebrews 6 4 answer with them it is, it is as with the cooks, who may have a smack and a taste of the meat they dress, but they are not nourished by it. Tasting is used in that verse as opposed to eating. The godly have not only a drop or a taste of the Spirit, but in them he is like a river of living water. John 7.38 Use 1. It brands as ungodly those who have none of God's Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8.9 and if he is none of the Christ, then whose is he? To what regiment does he belong? It is the misery of a sinner that he has none of God's Spirit. I think it is very offensive to hear men who never had God's Spirit in them say, Do not take your Holy Spirit from us. Psalm 51.11 Will drunkards and swearers say they have God's Spirit in them? 
Do those who are malicious and unclean have God's Spirit? It would be blasphemy to say these have the Spirit. Will the Blessed Spirit leave his celestial palace to live in a foul prison? A sinner's heart is a jail, both for darkness and noxiousness. And will God's free spirit be confined to a prison? Psalm 51.12 A sinner's heart is the emblem of hell. What would God's spirit do there? Wicked hearts are not a temple, but a hogsty, where the unclean spirit makes his abode. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2.2 We would be loath to live in a house haunted by evil spirits. A sinner's heart is haunted after the morsels Satan entered. John 13.27 Satan abuses the godly, but he enters the wicked. When the devils went into the herd of swine, they rushed down a steep place into the sea. Matthew 8.32 Why is it that men rush so greedily to commit sin, unless the devil has entered into these swine? This cuts off from being godly, those who not only lack the spirit, but deride it, like those Jews who said, These men are full of new wine. Acts 2.13 And indeed, so were the apostles. They were full of the wine of the Spirit. How God's Spirit is scoffed at by the sons of Belial. O wretchedness, or I'm sorry, O wretches, to make those tongues which should be organs of God's praise into instruments of blaspheme. Have you none to throw your sarcasm at but the Spirit? Deriding the Spirit comes very near to despising Him. How can men be sanctified except by the Spirit? Therefore to reproach Him is to toy with their own damnation. Use 2. If you would be listed in the number of the godly, then labor for the blessed indwelling of the Spirit. Pray with Melanchthon, Lord, inflame my soul with your Holy Spirit, and with the spouse. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow on my garden. Song of Songs 4.16 Just as a mariner would desire a wind to drive him to sea, so beg for the prosperous gales of the Spirit, and the promise may add wings to prayer. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke 11.13 God's Spirit is a rich jewel. Go to God for it. Lord, give me your Spirit. Where is the jewel you promised me? When shall my soul be like Gideon's fleece, wet with the dew of heaven? Consider how necessary the Spirit is. Without it, we can do nothing acceptable to God. We cannot pray without it. It is a spirit of supplication, Zechariah 12.10. It helps both the conception and affection of it. The spirit helps us with signs, with sighs and groans, Romans 8.26. Number two, we cannot resist temptation without it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1.8. The one who has the tide of corrupt nature and the wind of temptation must be carried down the stream of sin, if the contrary wind of the spirit does not blow. We cannot be fruitful without the Spirit. The golden rain from heaven waters the thirsty hearts. Why is the Spirit compared to dew and rain, if not to show us how unable we are to bring forth a crop of grace, unless the dew of God falls upon us? Number four, without the Spirit, no ordinance is effectual to us. Ordinances are the conduit pipes of grace, but the Spirit is the spring. Some content, them, content themselves that they have a Levite for their priest, Judges 17.13, but never look any further, as if a merchant were to be content that his ship was good tack, tackling, or his ship has good tackling and is well manned, even though it never had a gale of wind. The ship of ordinances will not carry us to heaven, even if an angel were the pilot, unless the wind of God's spirit blows. 
The Spirit is the soul of the Word, without which the Word is but a dead letter. Ministers may prescribe the medicine, but it is God's Spirit that must make it work. Our hearts are like, da are like David's body when it grew old. They covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. 1 Kings 1.1 1, 1. So though the ministers of God ply us with prayers and counsel, as if with hot clothes, we are still cold, cold and chilly until God's Spirit comes, and then we say as the disciples, Did our hearts not burn within us? Luke 24.32 Oh, therefore, what need we have of the Spirit? You who have blessed the Spirit have blessed. I'm sorry. You who have the blessed Spirit manifested by His by His energy and vital operations. One acknowledge God's distinguishing love. The Spirit is an earmark of election. First John three twenty four. Christ gave the money back to Judas, but not His Spirit. The Spirit is a love token, where God gives His Spirit as a pledge. He gives Himself as a portion. The Spirit is an epitomizing blessing. It stands for all good things. Matthew 7:11 What would you be without the spirit if not like so many carcasses <clears throat> without this spirit Christ would not profit you the blood of God is not enough without the breath of God oh then be thankful for the spirit this lodestone will never stop drawing you until it has drawn you up to heaven number 2 if you have this spirit do not grieve it Ephesians 4:30 shall we grieve our comforter question how do we grieve the spirit Answer 1. When we unkindly repel its motions, the Spirit sometimes whispers in our ears and calls to us as God did to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel. Genesis 35.1. So the Spirit says, Arise, go to prayer. Retire to meet your God. Now when we stifle these motions and entertain temptations to vanity, this is grieving the Spirit. If we restrain the motions of the Spirit, we lose the comforts of the Spirit. Answer 2. We grieve the Spirit when we deny the work of the Spirit in our hearts. If someone gives another token, and that person were to deny it and say he never received it, this would be to abuse the love of his friend. So, Christian, when God has given you his Spirit, witnessed by those melting of heart and passionate desires for heaven, and yet you deny that you ever had any renewing work of the Spirit in you, this is high ingratitude and a grieving of the good Spirit. Renounce the sinful works of the flesh but do not deny the gracious work of the Spirit. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. That was section 10, section 10 in that, in that part. All right, well, I hope this time has been edifying for you and that, that you're enjoying this reading through. Um, I would definitely recommend you read it through yourself as well. Um, I just thought this might be something different, and I, I'm hoping that, that it that is good for you. All right. Well, let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, like we usually do on Thursdays, we're going to close with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye, and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. 
possess us with more of that faith which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith. Perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a good night. God bless. Music